Hello, and welcome to the First Prez OC podcast. My name is Gabe Perez, the big dog himself. Um, I'm the youth pastor here at First Prez OC, and this is week 11 of our origin series, talking about the life and ministry of Jesus. This week, all about goodness, God's grace, not about earning your faith or earning favor with God or earning your salvation because the Bible tells us you can't do that. But Jesus did it for us on the cross. Let's jump to it. Love you guys. <sighs> Father God, we just thank you so much for today. Uh, we thank you so much for uh, this night. I ask that you would just uh, meet us in this place as we enter into a time of worship. Uh, Lord, help us just to center our hearts and our minds uh, on you and just... Um, Give you all the praise and all the glory uh, that we can. It's in my name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. So we got uh, new songs this week. Um, most of you guys will know the second one. You might not know the first one, but uh, you can get on your feet and um, just make sure you can see the screen.
There you go. Hey, Richard, how about you guys, like, just, like, step back just a little bit out of the way. Like, no, out, just back and out of the way. Back and out of the way. Back and out of the way. Oh, thank you. Not necessarily out to the side. You literally could just move backwards. We haven't done the song in so long. Yeah, I know. If you guys don't know the song. Oh, this is a really good song. There you go. I know the I know the Kirks like the song, that's for sure. Alright.
Father God, we just thank you. Um, Lord, we do see um, your power and your beauty um, in your grace and creation. Um, Lord, the, the evidence of your mighty power, your artistic work, um, your patience is revealed in creation itself because it's all reflective of who you are. And God, we're just so grateful that we can be amazed by all the things you've given us and not only that, that we know that everything in this world, as beautiful as it is, compares, the, doesn't even compare to who you are, Lord. You're so much greater than the things that we see, and we just love you so much for all that you have done and all that you're going to do, Lord. Meet us in this place tonight. Be pleased with our worship, and help us just to draw closer to you as we listen to this word that you've given us. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Hi, guys. Um, that leads us to this week. Obviously, you guys got all the points and verses from last week, which is awesome. I appreciate that. Proud of you guys for taking notes. And this week, we are moving on to Mark chapter 7. So we are getting pretty deep into Mark and the kind of the story, ministry, and life of Jesus, like uh, Matthew actually just mentioned, we talked about Jesus feeding the 5,000 last week, and then right after that, talks about him walking on the water, freaking out the disciples, they thought he was a ghost, yada, 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 and that leads us into Mark 7, uh, verse 1 through 4, so let's jump into it, all right? The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they give their hands to a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. All right. So when you read this at first glance, you might read, hey, they got they're eating with defiled hands, unwashed hands. Now, I'm sure a lot of us were reading or were reading this and you're like, so the disciples are eating with unwashed hands. So naturally, I think pretty much everybody would be upset if you had dirty hands while you're eating. For the most part, you don't necessarily want to eat food with just straight dirty hands. It's interesting because back then in the Bible times, there was an established ceremonial custom of the time that was established by the Jewish leaders. Um, one that was in the eyes of the Pharisees at the time um, had to be done through the way that they said it needed to be done through themselves. So the Pharisees were like, hey, this is what you're supposed to do and you have to do it through us. Otherwise, it hasn't been done and it's not done properly. So they had this established rule that they gave to everybody. Once you come from the marketplace, so when you're eating meat and bread specifically, you have to do a ceremonial cleansing of your hands. And we're going to be the ones who establish you to do that, right? So there, it was a customary thing at the time. And the reason they were upset is because Jesus' disciples didn't go to them. And they didn't do the proper ceremony that the Pharisees and the, the cultural norms of the time that were established by the rabbis and the Pharisees, all right? So that's kind of what their thing was. Um, but it really comes actually out of the cultural traditions and the teachings from the Talmud. So really, everybody, everybody, everybody say Talmud for me. 
Talmud, all right? So the Talmud is actually um, an old book um, that talks about the Bible. It's not the Bible. It's a book that talks about the Bible, and we'll get into that a little bit uh, later, right? So for them, because it was out of the teachings of the Talmud, it was a big deal, all right? And as we see in verse 5, it says, So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating uh, their food with defiled hands. So, if you notice, they point to the tradition of the elders. They don't say, hey, why don't you follow the teachings of the Bible? They say, why don't you hold to the traditions of the elders? Because the Pharisees pointed to the authority of the cultural traditions and the rules that they made up and not to the authority of Scripture. They didn't point to and say, hey, you're not following God's word. They said, hey, you're not following our traditions. There's two, and those are two separate things. Just because the Pharisees said this is a tradition that needs to be followed and this is God's word, those are two separate things. But oftentimes the Pharisees treated them with the same authority. They said our traditions that we have established and the rules that we have made up, these are at the same level and the same authority of Scripture itself. So basically they were saying, you know, hey, people a long time ago decided this is how God's word needed to be carried out, all right? So because some people a long time ago decided this, we went with what they decided, and now we treat that as biblical law. We treat that as the same thing as what God told us, all right? So this comes out of an Old Testament command for priests in the temple to have ceremonial clean hands before they handled specific foods in the temple. It wasn't a command that God gave to everybody. And he didn't give it for specific things in like, or to general things about general food and a general area. He gave it to priests that worked in the temple prior to handling sacrificed food, food that was in the temple that was to be dedicated to God. Because it was a symbol of this is for God, and I, as God's priest, the one who is kind of the middleman between the people and God, I'm handling God's offerings. And so it was meant to cleanse your hands before you handle the offerings to God. So it was an Old Testament command to the priest of the temple, but instead of just making it what God established it to be for that specific purpose, they decided, hey, this means everybody has to follow that. Everybody has to wash your hands. Everybody has to do it our way. And so they took a godly command and they added to God's word. They made something bigger out of what God had already established. And they made something that was a human tradition, a, a, a rabbi or rabbinic teaching, and not God's actual word. All right? So that's why there's a difference about these things. So in looking into kind of and researching this a little bit for you guys, I was looking into the Old Testament commands just to see, like, really, is there actually any of these commands in the Old Testament? So, obviously, the command was for, you know, specific priests in the time. But in my research, when I was looking through this, there's actually a Jewish website dedicated to explaining Jewish beliefs to new converts to Judaism, all right? And this is the verbatim i literally took it straight off their website from what they teach about this specific tradition okay and it originates from the teaching of the talmud and all talk. all right so the tradition of net net netilat 
Yadaim, so purifying of the hands, prior to eating bread, originated with the rabbis of the Talmud. All right, so again, you're going back to that old book of the Talmud. All right, so now here's where it kind of gets interesting because the definition of what the Talmud, they, they give it right here. This is their own words about what the Talmud is. The Talmud, Hebrew, a set of teachings and commentaries on the Torah, that is the Jewish Bible, that form the basis of Jewish law, comprised of Mishnah and Gemara. It contains the opinions of thousands of rabbis from different periods in Jewish history. All right, so why is that significant? Why am I telling you all this? Why, why does any of that matter? Because the Talmud was a collection of Jewish rules that were commentaries about God's word. So the foundation was God's word. And then there's all these people throughout the history that are looking at God's word. And they say, oh, this is what we should do with God's word. And they compiled a big book about that called the Talmud. And they now treat the Talmud itself as biblical teaching. It has divine authority to the Jewish people. So this basically, they took God's word, they commented on it, and they said, hey, what we say about God's word is the same thing as God's word now. Because they ended up adding to it and making up their own laws, rules, and um, teachings about it. And if you actually look, there's a specific things. There's an actual quote from one of the rabbis where it talks about that. And this is like, and it sounds ridiculous, but they talk about it is worse for you to contradict the word of a rabbi than it is to contradict the words of scripture. What? And so that's this like verbatim what they, the rabbis view as their authority in, in terms of teaching the Bible. Because they say, I've, I'm someone who's dedicated my life to the word of God. And so what I say about God's word and how we interpret that is not to be contradicted. So that's how highly they viewed the Talmud in, as opposed to God's word itself. All right? So it sounds kind of outrageous and kind of ridiculous. But it's, and, and a lot of this was developed for one out of a desire to actually maintain God's word and keep God's word as best we can. So it came out of a good place, but it, became, it went horribly wrong because it turned into, hey, we don't want to just follow God's word to the T. Now it's like, Hey, those who follow it, even the best way is through the Talmud. And so if you do the Talmud, you're really following God's word as opposed to just looking at what God's word actually says. So they ended up adding to God's word and it's actually very dangerous. And that's why it's actually so important to remember that we must not add to God's word. Because when we do, it leads us to trouble like the Jewish leaders teaching from the Talmud as opposed to teaching from the Bible itself. And in, when we add to God's word, it can even lead to a false sense of shame and a false sense of guilt when we do something that someone else says, hey, if you want to follow God's word, don't do that. It's, you're adding to it. And then if you break this other thing that someone else said about God's word, then you feel shame because you're like, I didn't do that one thing that one person told me. I'm not following God's word when God's word never said that. Because if we add to God's word, then we're adding rules to our own life, rules to things that God never said there were rules about, like the ceremonial hand, ceremonial hand washing.
And guess what? Jesus calls us out too, right after this. He calls us out right as uh, we're reading this in verse 6. So Mark 6, um, 7, 6 through 13, Jesus says, He, Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but with their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and you are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother as korban, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. So, Jesus calls out the ceremonial washing of hands as something that wasn't actually given to them by God in terms of a general thing he'd given for specific purposes, but not for every single person every in every single instance. And he, not only that, he calls out this tradition of korban. Everybody say korban. korban. So essentially, he talks about devoted to God. So essentially, this is a tradition where you would say, like, let's say you had money and your parents needed money. And the Bible says, honor your father and mother. So that means if your parents need help, use what you have to help them. And let's say your parents need some money and you're like, well, I have $100,000 over here. And your parents are like, oh, I could use like $20,000. Like, that's great. Thank you so much. And you say, oh, but I did it. This is Corban money. This is money that's dedicated to God. So because I did it dedicated to God, I can't give it to you. Sorry. I'm like, and so, what? so it might seem ridiculous, but people were, and that was a, a tradition that the rabbis had established. That was something, a rule that they had given to themselves. Say, hey, make sure you dedicate, like, you gotta, if you dedicate something to God, that's yours to use and to use for God alone. And Jesus is pointing out, you're missing the point. You're, you're trying to dedicate things to God to be holy, but God's not telling you, just dedicate things to me. He's saying, use what you have, not only to help others and to further my name, but use it wisely. Don't be selfish with what you have. And this tradition of korban and this tradition of ceremonial washing of hands has established rules that were not meant and established by God himself. And so Jesus calls this out, is realizing that our human contradictions, our human traditions end up causing us more trouble than we should be in. They actually end up causing us to sin more when we make our own rules and to try and add to God's word, it gets us in a worse position. And that's why Jesus says, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. From over-application of the washing to the dedicating of things to God so no one else can have them, the Pharisees were teaching things outside of God's word and lost sight of what was important. And you may think, Okay, well, why would they believe that? Or why would they do that? Or how could anybody add to God's word? That seems ridiculous. How could we ever do those things? There's no way that we should do that. But believe it or not, we have done that very same thing in our history now, guys. There's, 
there's a thing that you guys might not even realize, and it's something, it's a generalized phrase, but um, have you guys ever heard of the word like purity culture, the phrase purity culture before? Just raise your hand if you have. No, no, no. I don't know. No. Um, so, so when I define it, you guys are going to understand what I mean, all right? But there is a movement, and it's kind of purity culture, and I grew up in it, all right? And it's like there's a lot of remnants of it now as well. Like some things that are kind of unsaid that we don't define as that, but it's a lot of things that we have established as like godly commands that really are meant to try and help people keep to be holy, to be more in line with God's word, but at times end up leading to more shame and guilt, right? And so purity culture kind of comes out of the idea of, hey, we want to avoid like sexual immorality or we want to avoid like drugs and alcohol, right? So we want to avoid those things, right? Because those things themselves are sinful, right? If we're destroying our lives with drugs and alcohol or if we're living in sin by sleeping with somebody that we shouldn't be before marriage, those things are like bad things that we can't be doing because for one, those are roads you just don't want to go down, especially when you're not ready for those things, both physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, all right? So purity culture, they like we're so afraid of people going down that road of sexual immorality that it got to the point of like, hey, so because we don't want you to fall into you know immorality in that area, we're going to have guys sit over here and girls sit over there, all right? Because we don't want you guys to be near each other. And it's like, hey, but make sure, you know, don't be, you know, close to the, someone of the opposite gender because, you know, if you get too close to them, you might start being tempted. And I was like, hey, don't hold hands with somebody because, hey, you, know, you never know. It's going to get you feelings, all right? Don't do that. But the, so the thing, you guys see what I'm talking about? There's like little rules and things like that. They're almost, God didn't say don't hold hands with somebody. God doesn't even say don't be alone or don't sit next to somebody. But then there might be the idea of like, because we established that, like, hey, guys don't sit next to girls, don't hang out with each other, you know, make sure you're in a big group of people, otherwise it's going to be weird. And to a point, you know, those are some words of wisdom at a point, right? But it's not necessarily a biblical command. So someone might think that's a really big deal. I don't want to fall into that. I don't want to fall into that. And there's this fear that is all of a sudden established like, Hey, I'm a guy. I, I can't sit next to this girl because I don't want to be tempted. Oh my gosh. Like, or I don't want to tempt her. I don't want her to be tempted. Oh, and so there's almost this fear that comes about out of something that it has a desire for good, right? We don't want you to fall into that. But all of a sudden you feel guilty because you sat next to somebody of the opposite gender or because you're talking to somebody that you might be a friend with who is of the opposite gender. And those things aren't bad. It's okay to sit next to somebody. It's okay to have a friend who's of the opposite gender. And it's not necessarily bad in those things, but it's words of wisdom to use, but don't elevate those things as like God's word and feel shame if you do that. Because God doesn't give us commands to be shamed. He gives us commands to follow to live pure lives. And when we add to God's word by saying, hey, don't give in to you know, sexual sin, but then you say, well, don't hold hands, or hey, and then don't sit next to each other, and then, oh, don't give too much eye contact. <laughs> and it sounds, <laughs> I know, okay, I know it sounds really silly. Listen, listen, hey guys, listen. It might sound kind of silly and ridiculous, but believe it or not, it can be like that. And so, and I'll tell you what, so whenever I was, um, 
I remember I worked at camp. So you guys have worked at Glorietta uh, for multiple years. Um, and if you guys have ever been to like a big summer camp, especially like super conservative tri- Christian camps, they will tell you like, hey, like the boys are red, the girls are blue. We don't want any purple, right? So it's like we don't want guys. We don't want guys and girls mixing. All right. So make sure there's not any like mixing of guys and girls. Like, and you're like really, really make like they try almost like this overly strict, weird thing. Where like, and so perfect example is this. Listen, listen. Perfect example is this. As a counselor, they they said as an employee, they said you can't give anybody a front hug. All right. So meaning like you know a front hug is like. Richard, real quick, you come up, come up and give me a hug. This is a front hug. There you go. Don't give anybody a front hug, because front hugs were too intimate. All right. You know what I'm saying? You guys see what I'm saying? It's like, hey, but if you're gonna give somebody a hug, all right, Richard, give me give me a hug. I wish you guys hug. Hey, 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 side hug. Right. There you go. Oh, hey, what's up, Richard? Christian side hug. Yeah. That's so, where I came from. So, you, so, sh- so you guys see what I'm saying, though? Those are things that you guys you have seen and heard about before, right? But it almost makes you scared. Like, oh, don't give somebody a hug. Like. It's okay to hug somebody. I mean, don't be weird about it. Right. Now, if you're being weird about it, there's a there's a difference. There's a, there's a difference between like, giving somebody a hug and giving, being somebody a weird hug, right? And we all know that. We all understand that. But listen, listen. But it when we add to God's word by saying, "Hey, make sure you don't fall into sexual temptation," and then we say, "Well, that means I can't hug somebody." You guys see what I'm saying? There's like there's a weird over adding to this. But these things are meant to try and help us stay away from that. So it has the right intention. But we can't add to God's word, making it the same as God's word saying, if I hug somebody, it's a sin. Or if I'm talking to a friend who's the opposite gender, it's also a sin. Those aren't true. That's not what God's word says. It says to use wisdom to do those, like to be wary of those things. And when you know you feel like you're kind of being tempted or maybe you feel like they have feelings for you and it's going in a weird direction, you can start cutting things off, right? It's being aware and using wisdom in those situations. See? But that's different than what God's Word says and what we say about those things. And that's kind of when in a modern-day example of us adding to God's Word. Because God's Word doesn't say don't hug people. It just says be weary of that thing, all right? So that leads us to the rest of Jesus' response to the Pharisees and his criticism of them. Again, Jesus called to the crowd to him, and he said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside of a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. And he had left the crowd and entered the house. His disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he said. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For what goes into their heart, uh, for it doesn't go into their heart but into their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, Greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Right? So it's not the external that makes us unclean and clean. 
It's not what we do that defines our righteousness. We can't define our righteousness by what we do. It's the origins of our actions and our hearts and our minds that defines our righteous standing. Without a heart that loves the Lord, you're merely following human traditions, right? You're, you're living by a set of rules that somebody else has established for you. And no one can follow all the rules perfectly, right? And if you can't follow all the rules, then the Bible talks about if you break a rule, you are a rule breaker, right? Like, as soon as you break one, you've broken the rules. You are a rule breaker. That's it. Like, okay, you already broke the rules. doesn't matter. <laughs> so we can't be defined by our, how, what we do and don't do to make us righteous, right? Because our actions don't make us holy. Our actions don't make us holy. If we can do enough to make us holy, if our actions could make us righteous and holy and perfect, then we would all do it, right? If you knew for a fact, if you did enough, if you all I have to do is say five Hail Marys and I'm good, you know? Or hey, all I have to do is help that old lady cross the street ten times and I'm holy now. Then everybody would be like, oh, cool. All I have to do is do that thing and do that thing and do that thing and then I'm holy? That's great. But guess what? We all know that's not true, right? I can't make myself unsinful by doing things that are good, right? Just doing good things and just being a good person doesn't make me holy because what we do does not define our holiness, all right? What happens is, and what we need to understand is that even as believers, like right, as a Christian, Someone who has put my faith in Christ has said, Jesus, I need you. I ask for your forgiveness, your love, and your grace. Please be the Lord of my life. When we put our faith in Jesus, even as a believer, we still struggle with sin, right? We still struggle with sinful temptations because until I get to heaven, I am still going to struggle with my sinful body having sinful temptations. Even though I know I'm free from judgment, I'm free from condemnation, and I am living free as a believer in Christ, saved, and no matter what I do, no, no one's ever going to take me out of God's hands. But even though I know all of that, and I have that as a truth in my life, doesn't mean I'm not going to struggle. We're all going to have struggles no matter what. And so if what I did define my holiness, then even as a believer, I wouldn't be able to say that I'm holy. Because even as a believer, we're going to mess up. We're going to have times where we fall short. So our actions can't be the thing that makes us holy. It has to be something outside of ourselves. It has to be someone else or something else that makes us holy and righteous and purified. And that's exactly why Jesus died for us. Jesus did the very thing that we can't do for ourselves. If I can't make myself holy, if I can't pay the price for my sin and still get into heaven, then I have nothing else within myself that I can do. But Christ is the one that does that for us. And that's actually the difference between us and every other religion in the entire world, even amongst Judaism. Judaism has the, the Talmud, the set of rules. As long as you follow this set of rules, God, you'll be in God's favor. Same thing with Islam. They, as long as you follow the five tenets of Islam, you'll be able to have God's grace or maybe earn God's grace. 
Same thing with Hinduism. If you're a good person, eventually you'll achieve enlightenment. And, um, oh, not Hinduism. Oh, my gosh. Hinduism. Bo- yeah, Buddhism is actually, yeah. Buddhism is, hey, if I, I have to empty myself. I have to get out. I have to empty who I am and reach out, and hopefully I'll find enlightenment. I just have to forget everything about who I am and just find purpose within the universe. And whenever I start doing that, that's whenever I'm going to find my true heaven, nirvana, right? And even Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, even uh, Christian scientists, they all have a set of rules and say, once you follow these rules, and the Christian science will say, if you donate enough money, then you'll be able to find salvation. Mormons will say, hey, if you're good enough, God will give you more and more and more rewards. That's how you're going to get to heaven. And it's not about what we do. Because guess what? God in the God of Christianity, Jesus, says, hey, you can do nothing. And you're not worthy and you don't deserve it. Because none of us do. But because we don't, can't do anything, we don't deserve it and we're not worthy. Jesus says, that doesn't matter. I did it for you. I've done for you what you could never do for yourself. Because I love you. I love you enough to do the very thing that you could never do for yourself. And the thing is, when we cling to Jesus and his God's word, he makes us clean because Jesus has done it all for us. Jesus did everything that we couldn't do. He's the one who purifies us and takes away our sin. So don't think, hey, if I do enough or if I live the right way or if I say the right things, if I go to church enough and if I read my Bible enough, it's not about how much you read your Bible or go to church. It's about your heart and your faith in the Lord. Because if it's just based on your actions, it's never going to be good enough. But if it's based on your faith in God, it's always going to be good enough. (laughs) Because He is greater and better than anything that we're going to face in this world and anything we could ever do. He fulfilled the prophecies. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross to pay the price. He rose again three days later. And He offers us grace. He offers us forgiveness. He offers us new life. He does everything for us so that we, all we have to do is say, okay, Lord, I'll take it. I'm yours. Forgive me. Because he loves us enough to do everything for us because we can never do enough for ourselves. So let's look to the cross, guys. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, to get out of the sin and find eternal hope and life in him. Let's pray. Father God, we're just so grateful, um, Lord, that it's not about human traditions, the rules that we make up and the things that we say are what your word is. It's about what you say, God, your word. That's what we cling to, nothing else. Your grace, your love, your forgiveness, your sacrifice is what we look to. Lord, we can never be good enough on our own. But God, you look at us and say, okay, I know. I did it all for you. You loved us enough to make up for all of our shortcomings, 
all of our failures. You brought us out of our own mess that we made. And Lord, we're just grateful for that. We're grateful for your faithfulness to us. It's not about our rules. It's not about our lives, Lord. It's about your life, your commands, your sacrifice. So Jesus, if anybody hasn't asked for that forgiveness and that started that relationship with you, Lord, I pray that you would pull in our hearts right now, Lord, that we would just feel you calling out to us, begging and pleading so that we can ask for your forgiveness, Lord. For we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We've all messed up. We're all rule breakers, Lord. But you say, I want to take away all the rules you broke and give you new life. I want to forgive you for all the things that you've done wrong. I want to give you hope that's greater than the actions that you do that's found in me. Jesus, for anybody who feels that pull in their hearts, that desire to just surrender and give their life and their soul over into your hands, Lord, I pray that they would just spend that time and ask that forgiveness of you now. They would just say, Lord, I need you. Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your sacrifice. You died and rose again for me. And I'm so grateful for that. And I ask that you would just be the leader and Lord of my life. For all of us that haven't already done that, Lord, or that have done that, Lord, I pray that you would remind us that it's not about how much we do, not about what we can do or how good we can be in the eyes of others, Lord, but it's about our heart and our desire and our faith in you, Jesus, that makes us holy and righteous. Help us to have a stronger faith in you and not just try and do good things. We love you, Lord. Do you mind and we pray? Amen. Amen. All right. And there you have it, guys. That is week 11 of our origin series. I hope you are encouraged and uplifted and reminded of the goodness and grace of the Lord and don't feel like you have to earn God's favor or God's love because you can't. Um, it's not about being worthy or deserving of it. It's something that God gives us freely through his own actions. So be encouraged. Have a great week. I love you guys. I'm praying for you, whoever you are listening to this, and hope you have a great rest of your day and great rest of your week. Also, this is the start of my paternity break that I had uh, from when my daughter Isabella was born. And so we actually took about an eight-week break, at least from me being there. Uh, the lesson still continued on through Mark. Uh, I had a team of awesome people stepping in for me, but they didn't record any stuff for the podcast. So the podcast is going to continue on week 18, I believe, 18 or 19. So just an FYI, why all of a sudden after this episode, the next one's going to jump a lot of weeks because I was actually gone because my daughter was born and she's currently sitting right behind me chewing on a little toy because she's adorable. So anyways, be encouraged. Love you guys. Peace.